This week marks the anniversary of the September 11th attacks, and I, like most of you here today, remember exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing when that took place. Uh, This Wednesday will mark the anniversary. Uh, I remember being at home. Uh, Mandy and I were dating at the time, and she called me to let me know what was happening. I was working late at night at the church, and so I wasn't really with it at that point in the morning, and she kind of let me know what was going on, and as the day unfolded, it just got worse and worse, right? We realized what was going on. We realized that it wasn't an accident, it was an attack on our country, and then uh, years later, in 2006, I believe it was, we went to uh, New York City, and we toured Ground Zero, which was still very much uh, a mess. It was still being Uh, The construction was still going on to clear off all the debris, took several years to do that. And then we went back again in 2014 and saw the memorial that they have set up. And it was a powerful experience for our family. And we got to tell our kids, hey, this, you know, what this was all about. And and they got to see that up close and personal. Uh, But of course, that's something that we remember and something that we should never forget. And for me, uh, it was the realization as a young adult that... Any illusions I had about us being safe, completely safe, were wiped away because we were under attack and it could happen here at home. Well, the reality is, as I have come to realize through years of living, that physical attack was a physical manifestation of what we talked about for several weeks prior, uh, spiritual warfare. This warfare that's going on in the spiritual realm That was a physical manifestation of that, right? We saw up close and personal the evil that exists in our world, and we're battling against that every day. And so we see all in our world, all around, how the world is under attack. Morality is under attack. The family is under attack. Our country. uh, But the freedom that we have to worship the Lord uh, without persecution in this country, all of these things, I mean, we're under attack daily, and that's... We know that that should happen because we know we've talked about spiritual warfare. So how are we to live in response to the reality that we are under attack? What are we supposed to do knowing that the world is the way that it is and that there's evil out there and we have to contend with it every day? Well, I think we find that answer. I don't think, I know we find that answer by asking another question. And that question is this, does God have anything to say about it? Does God have anything to say specifically about right and wrong? Well, I want to say this morning that he absolutely does have something to say about right and wrong, and that impact should impact the way that we go about our daily lives, the way that we live every day. He tells us right and wrong, and it all is founded, it bases itself in the law that he gave to Moses, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are still very valid today, just as valid today, just as uh, relevant today as they were when God gave them to Moses. And over the next 11 weeks, today is an introduction, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments and how they relate, how we apply them to our lives today. But we're going to start with the truth that the Ten Commandments provide a blueprint for a morally excellent society. We live in a world that seems like it's gone mad, and we want to know how to build a life, to build a society that is pleasing to God. Well, that's where we begin. We begin with the Ten Commandments. They show us how to build a foundation. They give society a foundation. They give us order. They give us 
what God, they show us what God wants us to be individually in our families, but also in society. They give us instructions for living in a way that pleases God and constructing a society in a way that honors God. And so we're going to look at how that plays out. And that's why they are just as relevant today as they were when they were given because they, they form a foundation for how we are to live and how we are to function as God's people. You know, there's, again, society's under attack. We've kind of drifted from morality. And there's confusion about the Ten Commandments, what's right, what's wrong. In some cases, there's ignorance about, ignorance about the Ten Commandments. So it was a study done a few years back that showed that more Americans are familiar with the ingredients of a Big Mac hamburger than they are the Ten Commandments. 83%, 84% of, or right around 80% of those who were asked responded. They knew that the Big Mac contained two all beef patties and the rest. I'm not going to say it this morning because I'll get it wrong. But only six out of 10 could identify thou shalt not kill as a Ten Commandment. That's pretty sad, right? Of, in the same survey, they found that 43% of the people that responded, including churchgoers, 43% could identify the least familiar members of the Brady Bunch family. It was the least familiar is Bobby and Peter. Sorry, Bobby and Peter, but they, were the, they could identify those. But fewer than that, 34% could identify, remember the Sabbath, the two considered least familiar commandments, I guess. Remember the Sabbath, 34% could identify that, and do not make false idols, only 29% could identify that. So we know what we like on our hamburgers, and we know what we like on TV, but we don't really know what God wants from us on a day-to-day -day basis, how we are to build our lives, how we are to function in a way, in society, in a way that pleases Him. So we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about that, and we're going to begin this morning by just reading through, as we begin this series called 10, God's Blueprint for a Morally Excellent Society, we're just going to begin by reading the first 18 verses of Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read through the Ten Commandments together to begin our series. Beginning in verse 1, then God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters underneath. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Sounds pretty important. If you're going to have a society that honors God, then you want to be found in that category that's found favor because we follow God's laws. We follow his rules, obey him. Verse seven, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name or takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother. So that you may live a long life in the land that the Lord your God, that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. 
Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Verse 18, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet. And when the mountain surrounded by smoke, when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. As we begin our series this morning, we're going to ask two questions. The first is this. Why did God give the commandments? Did God give us the commandments to help us? Or did he give us the commandments to hurt us? When we look at the commandments, you know, a lot of people, even followers of Christ, think, you know, I look at this list and it's overwhelming. If I, you know, I I look at it and I see ones I've already broken several times, how am I ever going to live up to this standard? And they decide that they are, they look at them in a negative light. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us like lists that begin with thou shalt not? Do not do this. It usually makes us want to do that thing that we're told not to do. We don't like that. And so we get in our ideas. I think even in the church, we've got it in our heads that the Ten Commandments are kind of a negative thing. But God didn't give us the Ten Commandments to enslave us. He gave them to enrich our lives. They were given to help us to know how to live in a way that pleases Him, yes, but to live in a way that will bring blessing and enjoyment in our own lives. They give us rules to go by. They set a standard for us. That's one of the things the Ten Commandments does for us. They set a standard for us. They show us God's standard. If we want to know what God wants, begin with the Ten Commandments. They are His law. They show us His standard. We don't have to guess what God's like. We don't have to guess what He wants. They show us His character. They show us what He's really like. If we want to know the character of God, if we want to know how He is, what He's like, we can begin with this list because, again, they show us His standard, but they also reveal to us His character as we look through them. And this is important because when you look at the Ten Commandments, they reveal who God is. That reminds us, when you look at the beginning of the list, it says that God said this, right? That this comes from God. And this is important because maybe it's an obvious statement, but it's important to emphasize the fact that these commandments come from God himself. Think about this. If God says, does not say that murder is wrong, then murder is not wrong which the implications of that are pretty incredible, aren't they? If you take God out of the picture, who's to say that murder's wrong? Who's to say that stealing is wrong? Who's to say that someone stealing your wife or your kids is wrong or property that you own? If God's out of the picture, then morality becomes my opinion or my beliefs. Do we see that in our world today? Relativism? Even the most well-known atheists will agree that if you take God out of the picture, morality becomes a matter of opinion, and that is a dangerous thing. The reason we consider these things right and wrong is because God says they are right and wrong. They reveal to us His character, and they show us what God wants from us. I mean, yes, God has a plan for your life that's specific and unique to you, but in a general sense, we all know what God wants from us because it's listed one through 10 right here in Exodus chapter 20. We know who God is. We know what he expects from us. And that shows us that there are requirements. If we are to be called people of God, the Jews in the Old Testament, we as believers are now 
the people of God, post-New Testament, post-salvation, if we're to be called the people of God, there are some requirements. Yes, salvation is a free gift to all who would believe. But once I'm saved, there are some things that God expects from me. There, there are ways that I should live, things I should do, things, things that I shouldn't do. But the bottom line is God expects me to obey him. And the Ten Commandments are just as relevant. Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, the new covenant did not abolish the Ten Commandments. The purpose has changed of the Ten Commandments somewhat, but they are still perfectly relevant. And there are things that God expects from me as a believer. We need to recognize that God expects those things. Now, a lot of people do things that are wrong, don't they? I mean, we do things that are wrong. Now, why do, usually, why do people usually do things wrong that they know that they shouldn't? Because they can. And they think they want to. They think that nobody's watching them, Right. But if I believe that God is God and that he gave me rules to live by, then I know that he's always watching. And that's the reality. You may think nobody's watching, but somebody's watching. Remember last week, David, he thought all was well. He thought he had covered up his sin with Bathsheba. But the thing that he didn't calculate is that God saw everything that he had done and he considered what he had done to be evil. If I believe in God, if I believe in the Ten Commandments, then I'm going to want to obey God for a lot of reasons. But one reason is because I know he's going to see what I do. And I can hide it from other people, but God sees. He knows. And I recognize that he is the ultimate authority in my life. What God is saying, here's what God's saying in the Ten Commandments, all right? He's saying the Ten Commandments show you who I am. Now, imitate me. Do as I have done. As a matter of fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We're told, imitate God. Even Paul says, imitate me as I imitate God. I mean, we, we're to imitate God, and God's saying here, I, I'm telling you to imitate me, but I'm going to tell you exactly how I am. Here's how you imitate me. Follow these commandments. Do these things. Don't do the things that I tell you not to do. And showing us these things, the Ten Commandments serve a very important role in our lives. They show us how to live in a way that's pleasing to God and how to walk in close fellowship with God. Through obedience, we grow closer to God. They provide a service for us. Look at Galatians 3.25. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. They serve us by setting limits in our lives. And these ten, the Ten Commandments, they are clear directions about how to get safely from here to there in life. How to live in a way that, that honors God, but in a way that I'm protected. You know, God, He sets these limits not to restrict us. They're not to enslave us, but to enrich us. And the way that He does that is by staying within His boundaries we find freedom and we find joy. So the Ten Commandments really serve two purposes. The Ten Commandments guide believers on God's right road, but then they also guard believers against God's wrong road. The Ten Commandments show us how to live in a way that's pleasing to God, but they also show us what to do in order to avoid living in a way that doesn't please God, that's dangerous to us, that's detrimental to our spiritual and physical health. So they guide us on the road that God wants us to go, and they guard us from the wrong road. They set limits for us, and they show us God's love. Now, if you are a parent, you have children, you probably have rules for your kids. Hopefully, you have rules because you care about their safety, right? You, you tell them to do things and not to do things in order to protect them. Now, what are those rules? What motivates those rules? Love motivates those rules. 
I mean, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that we cared about our kids, we wouldn't set rules because, you know, who wants to hear them fussing all the time about the things that we won't let them do, right? But we do it because we love them. And God is the same way. He's our heavenly father. He doesn't give us these rules to be to punish us or to restrict us. He gives us these rules because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. And he knows that if we break these rules, it's going to be bad for us. And it's going to be, life is not going to be joyful. Life is not going to be peaceful. So we obey God's laws, understanding that they come from love and they shine light on our need for salvation as well. Another thing the law does for us is it shows us our need for salvation. Now listen, you know, you look at the Ten Commandments and some people would say, I can never do all that. Why should I even try? I can never be good enough to be accepted by God. If this is his standard, then there's no way I can meet that standard. Well, you are absolutely 100% right. The law was not given with the expectation that we would ever be able to meet that standard. That was never the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Yes, the Jews, by following the law, were able to maintain fellowship with God, but they were always given with the understanding that they would never be able to meet all of those. So God provided the sacrificial system as sort of a patch until Jesus came and was the perfect sacrifice for us. One of the main purposes, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you have to look at the Ten Commandments in line with the rest of Scripture and what the Scripture teaches about salvation. The Ten Commandments were were there to show us that we could never be good enough, that we desperately needed divine intervention in our lives in order to be saved, to be acceptable to God. God was saying when he gave it to the Israelites, he's saying by us having it now that we are are saved in Christ, he's saying, listen, I have already delivered you. And he had the Israelites from Egypt. He gave them the law after he delivered them. I've already delivered you. I'm not giving you these laws so that you can earn my favor. That's not what it's about. I'm giving you these laws because I love you. And I care about you. And I want to show you what I expect from you. I want to show you how to live in a way that's pleasing We're not doing it to earn God's favor. We're doing it because we love him. We're doing it after we've been delivered. We can now follow the law by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. Nobody can. You can never be good enough. And God doesn't expect you to do it on your own. He saves us and he sets us free. He says, I'm giving you these commandments so that you can live in freedom. Not freedom to do whatever I want, but freedom from sin and freedom to serve God and to please him with my life. So we have to look at the Ten Commandments and line them up against the gospel. Whenever we look at the Ten Commandments, we don't separate them from the gospel, okay? It's not Old Testament and New Testament. It is God's word, old and new combined. It is the message of salvation, the story, God's love letter from beginning to end to his children about how we were lost in sin, desperate, in need of a savior, could not meet God's standard. And he in grace and mercy sent his son Jesus to die the death that we deserved, to pay the price that we could not pay for our sins. He was raised from the dead so that we could have victory over sin. And God's saying here, this is how you live. This is me. This is my character. Now you imitate me. And not only do you have to do it, I'm going to give you the strength and the power, my strength, my power, so that you can live in a way that's pleasing and enjoyable. No, life is not always a bundle of fun, but you can have joy in life if you follow God's standards. And that's what they're about. That's what they're for. Did you know that this Wednesday, it is the anniversary of September 11th, but it's another anniversary, a little more lighthearted anniversary. It's the anniversary of when the store Piggly Wiggly was opened. Did you know that? 
Yeah, uh, 103 years ago this Wednesday, 1916, on September the 11th, 1916, a guy by the name of, I can't remember his first name, Clarence, Clarence Saunders opened Piggly Wiggly. And up until that point, you know, we go to the grocery store today, we get a basket, we walk down the aisles, we've got tons of stuff to choose from, right? It's just normal everyday life. We can choose what we want or what we don't want, but back in the day, before Piggly Wiggly, you went to the grocery store, you handed the grocer your list, and he filled your bag for you. You didn't choose, he just put in there what, what he had. There wasn't, wasn't an abundance of choices, but, but with Clarence Saunders, he invented this model of you get your own groceries. And so in doing that, he basically invented branding and marketing. Companies began to make their products more attractive so they would catch your eye in the store. And he even pioneered the method of organizing groceries. If you walk down the grocery aisle today, you're going to find all the kids' sugary cereals on the bottom and the bran flakes on top, right? Because there's marketing there. You put it at the kids' eye level. The toys are at the kids' eye level. Well, he basically invented that, putting candy at the checkout for impulse buying. You know, hey, chocolate sounds pretty good right now. He invented that, and, and all of that, so that basically started 103 years ago to this Wednesday. Now, that's left us with tons and tons of choices, hasn't it? But let me ask you, are we really better off? There are days where I know, you know, my wife would love to just say, hey, just fill up the bag. I don't want to deal with this right now. She does the grocery shopping in the family. I mean, I go in the grocery store. I worked in the grocery store for five years, and I still get lost. I don't know where anything is. Too many choices. Too many choices. Sometimes we need direction in life, don't we? That's just one example, a minor example maybe, but we need direction. Left to our own devices, we will get lost, not spiritually, but we will be wandering through life, not knowing what to do with no purpose, no direction. We need direction, and that is what the Ten Commandments do for us. They give us direction. They show us what God expects. They show us how to make decisions. We base them on the foundation of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments provide directions for living a life that's set free by the gospel. The Ten Commandments provide us with directions for living a life that's set free by the gospel. We're made, it's made possible for us to obey them because of what God has done for us. And they should always be placed right beside the gospel. We don't obey the law, the Ten Commandments, to please God, to earn His favor. We obey them because we have been saved and set free and we want to show our love to Him. We want to please Him and show Him that we appreciate what He's done for us. Our lives have been changed, have been set free. We obey the Ten Commandments because of what God has already done for us. And the Ten Commandments, though, we see, yes, we do it not to earn God's favor, but they do show us from time to time where we fall short, don't they? They're kind of like a mirror. You look in the mirror, you see, what, you see dirt on your face. What are you going to do? Well, hopefully you're going to clean it off. If you look in the mirror, you see your hair's out of place or something, you're going to fix it. You want to clean whatever's dirty we want to fix whatever's messed up. And so there are times where we look into the mirror of the Ten Commandments and we see the dirt on our faces. We see where we've fallen short and we need to clean up. So how do we do that? Well, we turn to Jesus who cleans us up. He forgives our sin. He makes us acceptable. And we are told in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. If we turn to Jesus, he'll clean us up. And this is where we learn that the Ten Commandments, they show us the way to live while continually pointing us back to our need for a Savior. That was their intent from the beginning, and it's still, even as a Christian, they continue to show us how desperately we need Jesus. We need Him. We can't do it without Him. We can't live in a way that's pleasing without Christ, without depending on Him. And in doing this, they strengthen our lives. They show us God's standard and they strengthen us because they show us our need for a Savior. They strengthen our relationships. You've probably heard this before. You can divide the Ten Commandments into two different categories. Both deal with how to strengthen our relationships. The first four deal with how to strengthen our relationship with God. The last six deal with how to strengthen our relationship with others. So with that in mind, we're going to divide the, for the purpose of our series, we're going to divide the Ten Commandments into two categories. One is loving God and relating to God. We're going to talk about how they show us how to do that, strengthen our relationship with God. And the second category is loving others and relating to others. We're going to talk about how the Ten Commandments show us how to strengthen our relationship with other people. And Jesus sums this up. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, he was asked this question. Verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which of the, the commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. First four, commandments one through four. Show us how to do that. And then he said, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So love your neighbor. That's the last six. He's summing up the Ten Commandments. So if anybody ever tells you that the law, law is no good anymore, then you can point them to Jesus' own words and say, yes, it is. Now it's different because we are saved. We don't have the sacrificial system, all that anymore. Jesus has been the perfect sacrifice for us. But the purpose is still the same. It shows us how to have right relationship with God and right relationships with other people. I think we can all agree that murdering someone is a good way to sever a relationship, right? Not a good way, bad way, but it, that's the result, right? You sever that relationship. If I want to make you mad at me, then I'm going to steal your donkey, okay? I mean, you know, there, there are things that we do that break relationship. Well, the Ten Commandments covers it all. How to live in a way that pleases God and how to live in a way that strengthens our relationships with others. The Ten Commandments protect us, and they show us God's standard. And since we're looking at really how the Ten Commandments are a blueprint for society, a moral society, we're going to look at this from two different perspectives. We're going to look at it from how the Ten Commandments protect the family, all right? Deuteronomy 6, you know, shows us that the importance of teaching the law and we'll look at it in detail in just a few more minutes, but it shows us that we are to take God's law, his word, and teach it to our children, teach it to our families. Because it shows us how to build a family in a way that's God-honoring and protect how he can protect our family by obedience to the law. Teach them diligently to your children, verse 7 says. And then history proves that what you leave in your kids is far more important than what you leave for your kids. And so we need to leave in them the word of God. And by doing that, we are protecting them. They also preserve society. So there's two different areas here where the Ten Commandments provide a blueprint for society. It begins with the family. As goes the family, goes, so goes society. So they protect the family, but also the laws are there to preserve. And they preserve society. That's why the laws of our land are built on these laws. 
I mean, you can agree or disagree that God exists, but you cannot deny that the core of our law is built on these commandments. And they preserve society. There are great consequences to disobeying God's word. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 20. The Lord will send against you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you do until you are destroyed and quickly perish because of the wickedness of your actions and abandoning me. The law was given to help. They were given so that we can have a society not only to please God, yes, but also God gave them to the Israelites and said, this is how you live in a way that's structured and ordered, where people are protected, where their rights are protected, where you can be taken care of and feel safe. You don't have to worry about somebody stealing your donkey. All right? I mean, God, God can, can protect us if we obey his commandments. Now, I could go on for 20 minutes about how far we've strayed from God's law and the effects. We, I don't think I need to tell you the effects of that, you can see them in our society, all right? The bottom line is you obey God, you have safety and security. You have a life that is pleasing to him and a life of joy. You stray away from that and you live a life that is insecure and uncertain. And so this is how this works. We take the commandments, we live them ourselves personally, And the way that we build a society that is moral is we pass them down to our children, as Deuteronomy 6 tells us to do. And so with that in mind, let's look at our second question. How can we pass the Ten Commandments on to our children? We're going to walk through the the ten over the next ten weeks after this. And the idea is, first, I live them. Second, I pass them down to my kids. So we build a society that is morally excellent. How do we do that? Well, as I just said, in Deuteronomy 6-7, we explain them. You have to intentionally teach God's word to your kids. Don't expect them to get everything they need in Sunday school one day a week. Our youth worship on Wednesday night. Now our teachers, our pastors do a great job of teaching. But if you're not teaching your kids, don't expect the church to make up for where you're weak. You have to teach them at home. God's word is very clear. Teach them diligently to your children diligently and then live them the reality is your kids are being taught all right every day they're being taught but the question is by whom because the kids are going to learn more from what they see in your life as opposed to what you say you can tell them and you should we should diligently teach our kids but are you living living in a way that shows that it's changed your life Because if they don't see it changing your life, if they don't see you living it out day to day, then they're going to figure, hey, it didn't work for mom and dad. I might as well not even try. We have to live it. We teach it and we live it. Joshua 24, 15, we need to follow his advice. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you made that commitment in your home and is it evident in the way that you live? So live it and then exalt the Lord daily. Put God first in your life. That's what this means. I'm exalting God. He is first place in my life, and he is the center of my life and my family. Psalm 119, 175 says, Let me live, and I will praise you. May your judgments help me. Live by God's law and put him and his standards first place. Live a life of praise. Our life is to be a sacrifice of praise to God, and the way we show that is that he 
is first place and he's at the center of everything that we do. Our lives are filtered through, God, what is your purpose for me? I want to live in a way that honors you. Everything that I have, everything that I am belongs to you. And then we need to exalt the Lord. Similar but different. Exalt means I rejoice daily in God. I'm putting him at first, the first place in my life, at the center of my life, and I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm living a life of joy. You're, continue, you're still going through the, the book of Philippians in your connection groups. We did a series through that back in, in the winter. And it talks about Philippians is the book of joy. If you want to know how to live a life of joy, Philippians can tell you how to do that. But that's what this means. If I'm following God's law, his rule for my life, I'm living a life of joy. And that's how I exalt the Lord. Psalm 119, 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Living a joy-filled life. There is joy in obeying God. Next, we need to honor God's word in our home. We're teaching it to our kids. Hopefully we're living it. God's first place at the center of our lives. We're living a joy-filled life. And we are honoring God's word in our homes. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. God tells you, if you will teach your kids my word, I'll take it from there. When you teach it, you model it, you reinforce it over and over again, but God's word is alive and it is active, and if you put that in them, God will use it. When they are old, they will not depart from it. They may go astray, but they will know the truth. And God will honor the teaching of his word. His word will not return void. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word, following God's rules. So are you teaching God's word in your home? In order to do that, you first have to take God's word inside of you and allow it to change you. If you're not seeing fruit from what you're teaching, maybe you need to back up and say, how has God's word changed my life? Am I living in a way that shows that my life has been transformed by the power of his word? Take it in, changes your life, and then you invest it into the lives of your kids, honoring it in your home. Let's take this just a little bit further, okay? Deuteronomy 6. Turn to Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4 in your Bibles. The Shema. It's one of the only two prayers that are specifically commanded in the Torah, the book of law. And we see part of that in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4. There were two, basically two prayers. Um, the oldest fixed daily prayer in Judaism recited morning and night for years and years and years, thousands of years. And we see part of it found in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4 through 9. I'm just going to read that. Let's read it together. Listen, O Israel, verse 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. This is where Jesus gets this, Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Take them inside of you, in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. Everywhere you go, the Word of God should be overflowing. Not for, just from our mouth, yes, but in our lives. Our lives are to be an overflow of what God is doing on the inside of us through His Word and His presence. Eight, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Now look at verses eight and nine. What, what is that really saying? Well, for the Jews, they took that literally. They had these little boxes, leather boxes with straps, and they would put them on their arms, their left arm, 
and they would put them on their foreheads during times of prayer, during certain times. They would also, even to this day, if you were to go into the home of a Jewish person, you would see a little box next to their door with this, these verses as well as others in them. Put them on the doorposts of your home. So they did it literally, but why did they do it literally? Well, there's a symbolic meaning too, and that's the same meaning for us. Now, you can walk around with Scripture on your, in a box on your shoulder, on your forehead. You can nail them to your house. That's great. We've got Scripture all over our house, right? Different ways, pictures and things like that. That's fine. But the most important part of this is the symbolic meaning. And we see that, excuse me, we see that in the four H's. Look at the four H's. Well, bind them on your head. What is that talking about? Well, that's saying that I'm going to allow my thoughts to be controlled by the Word of God. Okay? That's why we put them on our head. Our thoughts determine our actions. So we want our thoughts to be controlled by the Word of God. Next is the hand on the arm. The arm represents the hand. All right? So these are the things that I do, my deeds. I want the Word of God to control the things that I do. I want to act in a way that agrees with God's Word. Bind them on your hands. And then the next H, we see the heart, the left arm. Why the left arm? Because it was closest to the heart. So my heart is to be controlled by the Word of God. Now, what is the heart? The heart is symbolic for your mind. Your mind determines your thoughts. Your thoughts determine your actions. I want to be controlled and led by God's Word, God's Spirit, as we see Him teach us, experience Him teach us in His Word our emotions, everything controlled by the Word of God. And then the fourth is the home. Write them on the doorposts of your home. Well, I want God's Word. I want my home to be filled with the Word of God. I want my kids to be filled with the Word of God. I want to be directed by the Word of God in everything that I do. That's the point. If we want to know how to please God, if we want to have a, how to have a family that honors God, if we want to know how to build a society that honors God, it all begins here with me. I take it make it a part of who I am, and then I pass it down from generation to generation to generation. I teach my kids. I honor it in my home. I found a list, a top 10 list. Y'all remember David Letterman, right? He had the top 10 list. Well, of course, thousands of years before that, God gives us his top 10 list, and that's the Ten Commandments. But we see lists, and a lot of time lists are in tens. I guess tens a nice round number, and so that's what people use. I found a top ten list of ways that you can achieve success in business and in life. So you can take notes if you want, but here, here's your top ten list, okay? Learn to listen to your gut. Well, sometimes that's good, all right? Your gut can fool you, though. Number two, have an open mind when it comes to unfamiliar ways of thinking. Be open to doing things in new ways. That can be good. You can carry that too far, but that can be good, right? We can do new things, new methods to reach people, but you can also be too far in your openness. Number three, accept new technologies and try to learn as much about them as you can. That's hard to do these days. Technology changes, but if you want to be successful, you got to do it. Number four, constantly educate yourself. I think that's good advice. I mean, as long as there's breath in your lungs, you should be learning. Give back when you can. I agree with that, but God's word tells us to give back even when we don't have enough to give sometimes. To give sacrificially. Number six, know that being street smart is just as important as being book smart. You can have your opinion on that. You don't have to comment. I don't want any comments, but you know, I think both are important. Care for yourself. Number seven, that's important. Take care of yourself. 
Number eight, treat others with respect. I, I think that's, that's absolutely right, but I would add to that, treat others as more important than yourself, right? That's what Jesus teaches. Number nine, make self-examination a habit. Good advice. And number 10, find a passion and commit yourself to it. All of these, you know, most of these are good. Some of them even biblical, right? I mean, you know, I can't really argue with a lot of those, but here's my thing. I don't need a list I pulled off the internet to know how to have success in life. God's already given me a 10 ways list to have success. Success as he's determined. His top 10 list, the 10 commandments, show me how to have success in my relationship with him and how to have successful relationships with others, how to have his success in life. And so as we go through this series, we're going to learn the truth that if we follow God's law, there's joy in all areas of life. We'll learn the truth in a new way that we find in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. And the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the experienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad, joyful. The command of God is radiant, making our eyes light up. We see the world the way that he wants us to see it, the way that he sees it. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than any honey that comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. There is great reward in keeping them. Here is what I want to leave you with today. Following God's law, his, the Ten Commandments are just as relevant today as when God gave them to Moses. And following his rules are how you find satisfaction and joy in life. Because God's rules protect us. You know, it's kind of like these paper towels here. I've got some paper towels, and paper towels aren't that strong to begin with. And when you get them wet, it's even more so, right? I mean, there's just not, not, not a lot to protect the, you for them from being torn apart. They're weak. They're flimsy. And this is, you remember the commercial, this is your brain on drugs? Well, this is your life when you don't follow God's law. Easily torn. I mean, you can tear a paper towel, but torn, it's weak. Wet, it's weak. The structure's gone. So I'm going to take one to dry my hands. We're going to try this a little differently. We're still going to put it in the water, but we're going to try it a little bit differently. We're going to take another paper towel, and we're going to pretend this glass represents God's law, his rules for living, not meant to restrict us, meant to protect us. So as long as we place our lives inside of his word and his will, we are protected, even out in the world. And instead of drowning, we're protected. God's laws were not meant to restrict us, to enslave us. They keep us dry. They keep us safe. We don't have to drown in life. And sometimes life feels like it's trying to drown you, doesn't it? But we know what God wants from us. We know what he expects from us. And if we will obey his word, we will have protection and security. Life will not always be easy. Don't misunderstand this message or this series. Life is tough sometimes, and you, most of you know that but we can have security. We can have a firm foundation. The world can crumble around us just like those buildings did in 2001, but our foundation can be secure if our lives are built 
on the principles found in God's Word. God's blueprint, 10, God's blueprint for a morally excellent life and a morally excellent society. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would listen to your word, that we would take your word into our lives, allow it to transform us from the inside out, that we would live it from day to day, that our lives would show the transformation that's taken place. And God, I pray that we would take your word and invest it into the lives of our children from generation to generation to generation, knowing that if we do that, we will find meaning and purpose in our lives. We will find lives of satisfaction and joy, not always enjoyable, but full of joy as defined in your word, that we will have a family that has a firm and secure foundation. We will have a society that has a firm and secure foundation. And we know that in order to achieve that, we have to begin each of us individually by obeying and following your word and intentionally teaching it to our children, to our families. Lord, that's not possible. It is not possible to obey your word apart from you. Jesus, your death and resurrection provided salvation for us. And if we put our faith and trust in you, we can obey your word, your law. We can follow your instructions, live in a way that's pleasing to you because you empower us to do so. And so I believe, Lord, if there's somebody here today in a room this size, there may be somebody here today who they can't please you and they look at the Ten Commandments and it's a, a list that's overwhelming because they can't do it on their own, just like the rest of us. They know they can't and they need to accept salvation that can only come through you, your son, Jesus, Jesus, your death and resurrection. And I pray that if there's someone here in this building that, that describes that, that during this time of invitation, they would come and allow me to share with them how to make that most important decision, the decision to trust you and to follow you with their lives, to accept that free gift of salvation made available by your sacrifice and your resurrection. Lord, I pray for the rest of us that we would examine our lives. Are we really living in a way that's pleasing to you? Are we living by your word and are we teaching your word to our families, to our children? I pray that whatever you lead us to do in this moment, whatever commitment you call us to make, that we would be obedient. This is all about obedience. And, and Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to you, that we would listen and obey. God, thank you for giving us the chance to respond to your word. And may we do that now in a way that pleases you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.